This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. So excited to be here with my new friend, Joe Wilson. How are you, sir? Doing great. Good. Glad to have you. Thank you, Trey. Um, this podcast has been designed to give stories and tell stories to inspire people, to remind people that there is a God who loves us, who is able to do the impossible. And, um, and what I know a little bit about Joe is that um, while he's in missions now and is the, the founder of new churches now and has uh, helped start approximately 5,000 churches um, since, you've, since you've been in ministry and doing this, um, that it wasn't always this way for you. Um, no, it was not always this way. <laughs> In fact, uh, my life was a wreck at one point, so. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about that story. Um, you know, it was really interesting, just, just it, we were talking before we got on the podcast and got on air, and, um, you know, a statistic that always stood out to me was that, that, in, that in the majority of churches— 97% of tithes and offerings are typically absorbed by administrative costs. And so I'll never forget a, a pastor out in California gave the question one day and said, if our church was removed from the community, would the people even know that we were gone? And the reality is that a church, if it should be removed from, from the community, there should be a gaping hole in that community but oftentimes the assets and, and things can be so inwardly focused that we aren't impacting those that need it the most. And so just immediately, um, you know, hearing your heart, what you're about, uh, we would just love just to, to hear your story. Yeah. Well, um, like I told you, my life one, at one time was a complete disaster. I, I probably, you know, grew up like any other kid in the 60s with hard-working parents and unfortunately my father was probably a really good guy but uh, he didn't know how to relate to children very well so my dad pretty much never talked to me and you know he never told me he loved me or hugged me or anything like that but he provided for me and he you know he really wasn't like super mean to me but there was an absence of relationship there and um, that absence of relationship caused me to, to go out and find relationships that worked. And it just happened that those relationships were with people who were doing things that were not very good. Like, uh, I remember when I was a very young child, uh, I caught my brother smoking. <laughs> and the cure for that was they gave me a cigarette, so I wouldn't tell on them. So then when I was 12, a friend of mine's brother came back from... Vietnam, and he brought some marijuana with him, and this was in 1968, and uh, he shared that with us, and so I started smoking pot when I was 12 years old. Um, interesting enough, that was right about the time I quit going to church with my mom at 12 years old, so I quit going to church and started smoking pot, and that, that kind of set the stage for what was going to happen to me over the next several years, and I went through high school increasing drug use, drinking, not totally out of control, but uh, I did smoke pot pretty much every day. And um, by the time I was 18, I got out of high school and had a fallen out with my dad, didn't know what to do, wasn't prepared for the future. So I joined the Navy. Uh, while I was in the Navy, 
I was pretty wild. I didn't like all the authority. I was good at what I did uh, in, in, on the ship, but uh, I didn't obey the rules, got in lots of trouble there, got out of the Navy, Navy when I was uh, 21 years old and uh, trying to make my way in life, and I w was not doing very well. My drinking, drug use had increased, and one day uh, I was with some friends, and we were using some meth, and uh, been drinking, and one of the guys says, you know, uh, this stuff's really better if you use a syringe and inject it, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't think I want to do that, but because I was, you know, half drunk, I turned my head and let them stick me in the arm, and that was the answer to life for me. So over the next five years, my life was pretty much became a nightmare and out of control. I had a good job, but um, I was not, you know, more and more I couldn't function on that job very well because of my drug use. And I, I, I think probably the people in my life suspected something was not quite right, but because I could put on an act to be you know, fairly happy, normal guy, even though deep within me there was a, a despair and, a, and fear and frustration and bewilderment, uh, they couldn't quite recognize what was happening until later on. So towards about the last year of my drug use, I didn't go to, I missed work a lot. Um, I was trying to stop using drugs. My mother knew about it. My dad had died already. My sister and my brother, they, they knew that something wasn't quite right with me. I went to an outpatient treatment center that didn't, didn't help me a lot, but I, I think probably educated me a little bit. But uh, the kind of the turning point for me was um, I had, and my job was really good, and uh, I liked what I did. I, I was paid pretty well. And uh, one day when I was in the middle of really trying to quit, I left work, went out at lunch, bought a bag of syringes, went and bought an uh, eighth of an ounce of cocaine, and I started using. And I used until the drugs ran out. And Thursday morning, about 5 o'clock, I drank a half a bottle of bourbon, went to sleep for one hour, woke up, and I felt like a, an egg with nothing in it. So if you can imagine a, an empty egg, just a shell, I was a shell of a person. It really scared me. I was out of control, really, in my mind. And I remember at this outpatient treatment, they talked a lot about God could help you, even though it wasn't Christian-based, but they had talked about God helping you. And so the first time in my life, I, I asked God to help me. And uh, I called my brother to talk to him. And this is a this is a good point for any of you that are struggling with your, uh, your relatives that are, whether it's a child or a, a, uh, a brother or sister or someone like that, and that my brother says, well, I don't think I can help you, but you can go to your mom. So I called my sister. My sister says, don't come here. Go to your mom. So they really exercised some tough love, and that was a good thing for me at the time. So... They sent me to my mom. So I, I went to my mom's house, uh, cried for two days. My mom found a local counselor. The counselor connected me with a Narcotics Anonymous group, went into the first meeting, and most people with an addiction problem think that they're alone 
and that nobody else is experiencing what they are. And in that meeting, I found out there were 10 other people there who were going through the exact thing, same thing as me. And that brought me some comfort. Go to 12-step meetings. I actually went. And there was a meeting, you know, that could be found pretty much every day. So I started going every day. And about three months later, um, I went out and used again. And when I went to one of the meetings, an older guy there pulled me to the side. And, and he says, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. And he says, why did you go out and use again after you've been clean for three months? I said, I don't know. He says, come on, really. Why did you do that? And I said, I don't know. He goes, you went out and did this, so you got to know why you did it. And I said, I don't know. He goes, well, you wanted to, didn't you? And you know what? When he said that, I realized that I couldn't control my own thinking. My brain was not functioning right. I went and did the very thing that was ruining my life that I did not want to do. My brain told me to go do it, and I went and did it. So I kind of made a decision there, and I just said, you know, I can't trust my own thinking. So I'm going to do like this program says. I'm going to get what they called a sponsor, somebody that I would talk to and reveal things to, call if I started, you know, thinking about using, and, um, and let them do my thinking for me for a while. Well, you know, it turns out that accountability process with another person really worked, and that was the last time that I used, and that was in uh, 1986. Wow. So uh, my life got better, and uh, that went on for the next three years. That minute that I asked God to help me was working. I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus at that point, but I was started praying, and I was, I was seeking God. And I remember after being clean for a year, they had a little party for you, and I remember standing up in front of the crowd there and saying, if God can do this for me. He can do anything for anybody. And uh, so another couple of years went by, and, and you know, I began to realize that God was doing what he was supposed to be doing, but something wasn't right in me still, that I was missing something. And I remember by this time I was in a, uh, a business with a guy in a dental laboratory, and I remember going in the bathroom one day and sitting there praying and asking God to help me. I was a little frustrated, and, and I walked out. And the thought just came to me. I said, man, God, I know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but there's something missing inside of me. Some way I'm just not connected. About 10 minutes later, the phone rang. It was a girl that I knew, and she says, you know, I, I, this past weekend I went to this crusade, and I received Jesus there, and it's changed my life, and I want to tell you about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so long story short, uh, I ended up going to church with her, and uh, received Jesus like three weeks later. And uh, then, you know, the difference in my life was that I was following him. I had the Holy Spirit to help me along the path. And I lost the shame of having been an addict. I didn't care anymore because I had, you know, basically Joe died that day that Jesus came into my life. And he resurrected a new person that, that didn't care. This is just all part of my story. And if that's what it took to get me to the point where uh, I was following Jesus in my life, it really didn't matter what that experience was. So, so um, I uh, have, uh, for the past, I guess, since 
August the 8th of 1989, been doing my best to serve the Lord, and that's taken me to some crazy places around the world. <laughs> so, yeah, Tell us about some of that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, um, I think the good part about having gone through the experiences that I have is that when you have this radical change take place in your life and the Holy Spirit fills your life, you're ready to do anything. And fortunately for me, the church I got connected with, they actually expected something out of me when I became a believer, and they started asking me to do things. And, um, and I really was headed towards a path of, of serving the Lord full time. And I remember that uh, after three years, I was teaching Sunday school and doing a kind of a recovery program in the church. We were having 12-step meetings there and running those at the church a couple times a week and, and uh, pretty much, you know, really committed and, and serving the Lord already uh, in a big way, even though I was still working a full-time job. Um, but in uh, 1993, after Hurricane Andrew, a friend of mine moved to uh, Miami to try and help out after the hurricane, and he invited us to come down and help him out. And we went down for five days, and um, we went out and talked to people about Jesus because they had almost died. And pretty much everybody you talked to said, oh, we need to hear this because we almost died. And we had a lot of people's lives changed, and we stayed five days, went back home. On the way home, the Lord spoke to him, and he says, I want you to move here. And... Um, you know what, I had this intensely on my mind for two weeks until I couldn't think about it anymore. I was in such a comfortable place. Church, friends, life, I just said, I'm just even going to quit thinking about this. And some time went by, and uh, the, this was in October. The next year in June, the same guy asked me to come down and help him to kind of start some kind of a house church. And went down, helped him. Uh, got the church kind of started up, or, you know, the, the group started up, had a few people's lives changed on the way home. Again, the Lord says, I want you to move here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I was kind of prepared there. It took about six months, and um, I moved to Miami, and within about six months, we had reached about 60 people, baptized 40 of them, and had a good group, started this house church, and uh, I ended up turning it over to a pastor there and moved back up here and began serving the church here again until um, God called me into the mission field. So in uh, October of 2001, I moved to the country of Belarus, and uh, which was ex-Soviet Union. And uh, at that time, they were still pretty much kind of communist. I mean, they weren't part of the Soviet Union anymore, but... Uh, we started reaching people through the English language. About a year later, started a church. I ended up being the pastor of that church, and people's lives were being changed. It was kind of a unique experience. I had two other, I'd gotten married by then. I married my translator, and uh, I had her and her cousin, and one other guy were the only believers, and we had about 70 people that were either in the process of coming to know Christ or uh, didn't know him at all. And so I was working with these, with these people, and we began to see lives changed and uh, forming a church, and that went on for about two and a half years. And one day, 
when we were having services, we had a couple of people show up. And I was like, mm, I think I know who these guys are. They're, Belarus still has KGB. So they were there to check me out. And I just, you just knew. And I said, well, these guys need Jesus too, so I'm not going to change anything I do. So I preached as normal. And they took me outside after the service, and they said, Joe, you know, I, you didn't really say anything wrong, but our cabinet of ministers has declared that foreigners can no longer do religious activity in this country. So you're breaking the law. You need to come down and spend the day with us tomorrow, and let's talk about this. So went down, spent the day with them, shared the gospel with them. They were laughing at me. <laughs> they were nice enough. I mean, they weren't really hostile. And at the end of the day, they wrote me up, they fined me, and they said, if you do public ministry anymore, we'll deport you. And here I've got this church that I pastor, and they went to the place where we rented a space, and they talked to the owner, and they said, listen, if you let these guys meet here again, we're going to send the fire department over. The fire department's going to shut your building down, and you won't have a building anymore, so you better not let them meet here again. So, I, you know, I thought this was the worst tragedy that could possibly happen. And I ended up finding a like-minded Belarusian guy. I moved my church in with him. And uh, at the same time, I started talking to him about planting churches in his country because there weren't that many. And uh, I remember that day talking to him. His head was shaking yes, but he said his heart was shaking no. <laughs> and, but... We began to do that anyway, and uh, we started planting churches in Belarus. Then I moved over to Russia and started planting churches there with guys. And uh, long story short, um, today we're working in about heavily about 30 countries, connected in about 50, and we've started almost 5,000 churches. So it was one of those Joseph moments to where they meant something for bad, but God meant it for good, and it really kind of set me off on the right path in life to where I really found what I was good at, and my talent really lies in helping others do the work of the ministry, and that's what I do today. So. That's amazing. You know, I just think about how often whenever the enemy comes and, and persecution, you know, is used as a vehicle to be able to transport the gospel. I mean, I think about the the house church movement in China and different places where God has used intense persecution. Um, you know, as I as I listen to your story, um, you know, some of it that just really strikes me as fascinating is that you know God did use a a twelve step group, obviously with its origin, you know, that comes out of Christianity yeah. um, to, like you said, to, to to really give you some information. But eventually, you would find Jesus, figure out who that higher power is that they talk about exactly right. and transformed your life. And that's really, you know, what, what we do here is that we're just saying like, Hey, we're, you know, God is not a doorknob or a pair of tennis shoes, but his name is Jesus. And, uh, and we can present him to you on the front end of this journey and, you know, and everything's going to be a lot better for you and to tap into the real power source and the life source. Um, but then, you know, I, I think about how many, you know, people that are out there that are on fire for the Lord and they end up burning out or it's all zeal, no wisdom. And God speaks to you at this time of where you're sort of, I guess, kind of cutting your teeth in evangelism. And you were able to make this transition and, and actually build something that's sustainable, you know, with 5,000 churches in all these countries, you know, staying faithful through it all. 
when you talk to somebody on the on the front end of this journey that's probably listening that's getting gripped with their love for Jesus like what's the difference in people burning out and even if they don't go back to their drugs you know that they just kind of fade off and you yeah, know get get a job and next thing you know they're just like maybe they're still showing up to church or they're lukewarm like what what's what's different with with you yeah <clears throat> well most people like us that come out of addiction, they're usually pretty passionate believers and they really want to do something. The problem, unfortunately, with most churches is, is that they usually do what we call leading with a no instead of leading with a yes. Wow. And so uh, when these passionate people want to do something for Jesus, they usually, well, you know, wait and you stay around for a while and eventually we'll get you somewhere instead of turning them loose and trusting God. So a lot of time in church and in Christianity in general, uh, we're, we're about control. You know, we want to control people. And really, God needs to be in control, and we need to turn people loose to let them do the work of the ministry and let them exercise the gifts that God's given them to do. So, you know, from the very beginning, I wanted to do something great for God. The first thing that I thought that I could do great for God was to lead another person to Christ. And so they put me in a program, taught me how to share my faith, and I was able to lead people to Christ. But I, I, I just knew that God wanted to use me to do something great one day. Not for me, but for his kingdom, and that I wanted to be immersed in that. And to be honest with you, church leaders probably were not that helpful in that. So the best thing that you can do is to stay connected to God, to spend time with him, to listen to him. Don't pour your life into listening to other people only. Like the guys asked me today, who was my favorite preacher to listen to? And I said, well, I'm kind of at the point to where I don't really listen to other preachers that much because I want to hear from God. So I spend time with God in the morning. I get up 4.30 in the morning, and I sit, and I read my Bible. I kind of go through a routine, and I listen to him. I want his inspiration. I want to know what the next step is for me. And then I've learned to focus on a verse in the Bible that's Ephesians 3.20 that says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Now listen, that power that's at work within us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So God has filled us up with the power to be able to live the Christian life and to follow him and to do great things that he can only do in us and through us. So... God has a special purpose for all of us, and he wants to do something great through each one of us. Now, those great things can be measured in different ways. Some of them might be micro to where it might be reaching a few people in your neighborhood, but still, that's something great that God can do through you. Others, it might be something macro to where we reach a whole country or a whole nation or a whole globe. But uh, God has a purpose for each of us, and he wants to do something great through us. And if he can take, you know, drug addict Joe and turn him into a global church planter that's helping guys all over the world start movements that multiply churches in their country and across borders into other countries, and to give the resources that are able to do that, which I'm not capable of that either, then he can do anything for anybody, just like I told those people in that 12-step meeting on my one-year birthday. And you can believe that, and that's called faith. And if you'll exercise that faith and work hard, God will put favor on you, and you'll begin to see things happen that you absolutely know that God's doing it. It's not you. Amen. 
that verse is normally we do these podcasts in my office and the audience can't see, but we're in the lobby on the women's side today. And, um, but that verse hangs on the wall in my office and have really, you know, built my life and, uh, definitely built this ministry on that. And, and that's it. I mean, just see God doing what, what there's, there's just no way that we could pull off. I never forget our, um, one of our, our director of business development said to me one time, and is, 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 is this thing really started to grow? He goes, we're good, but we're not that good. And um, <laughs> it was just real profound to me how he said that. But just listening to you, seeing what God has done, um, just the information that you've handed off that has ministered to me directly. And I know so many people that are going to listen to this. Um, it's just just absolute gold. So thank you for for investing in us today. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Trey. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, as the experience I had, you know, in your auditorium with the guys that are in rehab here, there's a lot of light and a lot of spirit in that room. And you can see people's lives being changed and people loving each other and caring for each other. And it was amazing, really. I mean, you have a really good uh, process and work going on here. So thank you for inviting me today. Amen. It was an honor. Thank you, Joe, so much. Let's do it again. All right. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.